Man, what the fuck is my fucking soy sauce? Man, shut the fuck up about the soy sauce. You didn't check the shit? Listen, man, I'm gonna go tell you just like this, man. Check this out. Since you're making money now, you know what I'm saying? Money, do torch David. Since you're making money now, I got 5,000 Say, I can knock that light out with this right here. Well, if you got money now, make it 10,000. I'll let, nah, fuck that, fuck that, fuck that, fuck that. Oh, good shot, baby. Give me my money, baby. My money, baby. And welcome to another episode of That's the King Trailer. If you don't know what's about to happen, you are out of your mind. We're taking a trip way back, back, back to the 1980s. Paid in full. We are about to get into it today. Uh, before we do, be sure to subscribe. I know for a fact that 75% of you people that are consuming this are not subscribed. Only 25% of you that are watching are subscribed. That is statistically speaking. I could back that up with analytical proof brought to you by our overlords at the YouTube base. So, subscribe. Just hit subscribe. It's that easy. We do new episodes every Thursday, highlights every Tuesday, which uh, brings us to... The fact that you should subscribe. Yeah. Do the analytics, damn it. Now, what, what movie every week? This week is paid in full. Mr. Royal, this was your pick. Yes, it was. This week, we traveled down the cocaine-laced road of Harlem in the 1980s to where we talk about the film Paid in Full. And we, before we get into a film, we always discuss why we chose the film. And for me, it hit home, number one, of course, as a lover of film. Number two, it being not just a black film, but a film that basically it told a story to things, the elements and things that I had seen growing up. And so to me, it's one of those times like we always talk about to where the genre crossed into real life, at least for me, and to see people's families affected by drugs and how um, it just the, the crowd pot that it could become in a city like Harlem. And for me to see those things, a lot of those things resonated with me, whether it would happen some things that happened to my family, maybe happened to other people's family. It just affected a lot of people. And so um, we, we're traveling down the paid and full road today. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sorry. Ah, that water hit me in a way I did not expect. Much like the movie did. Segway. Okay. All right. So normally what we do is, you know, we normally uh, I know what I picked it. But how about you tell us this week? Let's get to our uh, let's get to our talking points, our discussions doing the film. Why would you tell me what you thought? How about you start it off this week? OK, so um, first of all, they did an excellent job with the uh, the, the set, the set, the set decoration, getting making sure all that the props were. I mean, doing a film that is. Uh, time genre wise yeah, yeah that, that is no easy task every shot in the background has to be you know all, all the cars the wardrobes which were great especially mm -hmm. Ace's wardrobe mm -hmm. um, yeah so Ace that plays by plays by Wood Harris yes yes and um, the, my favorite thing of all about the movie though is uh, the overuse of the word baby like you're a hustling motherfucker, baby. You know me, baby. Well, you know, that's a New York thing. You know, like God and son and, and, and baby. Hey, what's up, baby? And first, and please, I mean, and remember that successful that failure album. That is true, <laughs> because my stepbrother is from, up, is from like, like New York, I think. And 
uh, when when uh, when Mitch is always washing his shoes and all that. Play you by Makai Pfeiffer. That is my stepbrother to a T. He and he's always like, gotta keep my shoes clean, baby. And he that's yeah. So I, uh, that checks out. That that Mitch definitely, definitely had OCD. He definitely had OCD. Yeah, that was one thing I noticed was his the contrast between somebody like him and somebody like um, Lulu. Mm-hmm. Uh, the di- the contrast between two people, they both have a lot of money, but the way one flaunts it is more materialistic. The other tries to keep it low. He hides his diamonds in the closet, mm-hmm. literally. Um, I thought that was uh, I that, that whole scene when uh, Mitch comes home and he is he cleans his he puts his he's well he's showing his he's showing uh, what's his name um, what's the kid's name uh, I know the kid's name. I got oh, this it. is gonna be so I good. It. <laughs> I got it. Don't you do, tell are you me. sure? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, sunny. Say okay, yeah. Uh, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia, but not apparently in Harlem. Future money making sunny. <laughs> One finger missing, money making sunny. <laughs> now, if you um, notice, real quick, but if you notice what uh, what Lulu said to him, if, I don't know if you caught it. He says, "Hey man, uh, tell your friend the drug dealer, hey, give this to him, take him out to the movies sometime." Yeah. They basically say, "Hey man, you know, hey." Well, it's what Ace said in that scene where he's like, um, he's like, "Yeah, they they, they dress, dress nice, they dress but nice. You, they're like loud nice. You're yeah. like nice nice." Right. And he was like, "Thank you, my friend." But you could tell he's got Mitch has an obsession right from the beginning with the the nicer things like he's right. showing he's showing the kid how to clean his shoes the way he keeps his all his shoes up on the shelf like like showing people when they come in these this is these are my possessions I mean he, he walked in on chains he walked in on Sonny cleaning his shoes like nah 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 that's not how you like yeah. dude, he was like whoa <laughs> most kids ain't even cleaning their shoes and he walks in on them one of the things that that really uh referenced this to me it was like it was the, I was able to nobody ever thought I'd be able to tie coming to America shaft and to paid in full and I know you're wondering how in the hell that I tied those into this and it's because of the fact that whenever you see someone living in a a period with a appears to be a ghetto or a rundown environment or something like that and then you see all the apartments around them horrible f-ed up and then you walk into their apartment it's like whoa so mm-hmm. it was people's on shaft of course it was a king and uh in uh, coming to america when they got the apartment and switched with the guy uh the landlord and to me when he walked into lulu's apartment he's like dude uh what's going on here he's like you ain't got no car like you say you yeah. dress like nice nice and you're not loud nice and you know so he was kind of showing him a different way i think lulu took a took a liking to ace which when I, <clears throat> when I saw Lulu, I was very excited because I remember him from one of the best scenes in La Bamba. Oh, yeah. 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 Look at you, man. I'm not going to lie. When I first saw Lulu <coughs> again, I thought it was Socks Man. Like, I was uh, like, wait a minute. Did he, did he get us? Did he get us and we didn't know? I'm like, that's not Socks Man. Um, I think my least favorite character, and I think he's probably supposed to be, is Calvin because he is a motherfucker. Right from the very first scene he's in to the very last time, the last part of his story he is a motherfucker from beginning to end this talk about this motherfucker here i'm glad i don't got a sister because i would have to fucking kill him this fucker, he first off it's several scenes with calvin to where they set up his character to kind of let you know what it is you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying and see, if there was a protagonist there uh and 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 also an antagonist you can kind of see that with two, uh, two of the characters um of course with ace and calvin and then so also with ace and Rico, but but what, let's get back to Calvin for a second. When they're just when Calvin, how they're setting up Calvin. Number one, they walk into 
uh, Mr. Pitts. And you, if you notice, that's a sign of respect that even kids from our from our era grow up. No matter how old we get, we still call people that we grew up knowing Mr. and Mrs. So they they set it up right right from the beginning. But then mm-hmm. Calvin Wall, and also it was a callback to the movie Fresh. Actually, they did this because in the movie Fresh, the little boy was always taking care of his older sister who was getting pimped out by drug dealers and things of that nature. So to me, when Calvin walks in with Ace's sister, and you know what I'm saying, and he first comes to Mr. Pitt, he was like, man, can you, can you change this? Mr. Pitt, like, nah, they showing you right then and there the element of hardworking man, man who owns his own business. Mm-hmm. And we don't even get 30 minutes into the film before uh, Mr. Pitts walk back in and gets his shade revenge. Like, well, I guess your sister's going to have to find a new boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, one of the things that I wrote, re- oh, no, before we get off Calvin, the f- that, that scene when... Um, when dinner when no well that that was a great scene just be just the way everybody acted around how like he had fear put in people the mom said like maybe four words but her presence was so strong and yeah you knew how she felt the, uh, the scene when uh when calvin's trying to trying to he he wants to he wants to be out on this on the corner not not working with somebody he wants to be doing oh yeah but he's too hot and he's, yeah. he's ob- like when he says uh i'll see you later you know, you can hear the music take a like go down a note, an octave. You can hear the, his tone. Like in that moment, I was like, "That's the motherfucker that beat his ass when he walked through the door in the beginning." Like, if, if, unless they on Calvin for a second, he should have got his ass beat like way early in the movie. This motherfucker tells Ace as he comes back in from a hard day of work. He was, he's trying to explain to him, like, hey, man, I see you doing your thing. I, I like that. Let me tell you something, man. He's he's asking, he's asking Ace about Mitch's sister. Ace and Mitch's sister are clearly uh, with each other at the time. And so he tells him, like, man, look here, man. Which, Regina Hall. Oh, yeah. I bet you didn't see that coming. That's why no, I didn't tell you. No, I didn't. But I was very pleasantly satisfied because that, that brought me back to, like, scary movie days where I had, yeah, she was. Oh, I she thought it brought a, you back to, it, like, the. Uh, the, the chocolate wrapped in the white cream or whatever you said that episode. Yeah, with that being said, we'll yeah, we'll get back to that. But no, in that same freaking up uh in that same scene, okay, two things happen to where he could should have got his ass beat. And they're a combination of both. First he tells him here like, look man, this right here, I make eight hundred dollars a day. Hundred dollars a pop. Almost like even if he was trying to give him advice, he's such a creep that he then says, Man, I'm telling you, old girl, she'll suck your dick all day. You know what I'm saying? Like he's like, oh shit. So to me at that point, he was like, nigga, you you trying to tell me my sister sucking your dick all day? That's what he was. He was like, man, your girl will suck your dick all day if you got this money. You know what I'm saying? So, okay, yeah. boom, he says that. Then, in case that wasn't enough, after he disrespects his mom, like him, he, he gives uh, Ace mom some money for the groceries. And then while she's obviously fixing dinner, motherfucker's like, hey, let's get out of here. Mm-hmm. That's the second ass whooping. And then as he leaves out, I don't know who the, who the cinematographer was on this, but they they keep oh, the yeah, cameras straight. <laughs> you know, no, he looks back and he's like... Yeah. <laughs> That's a shady motherfucker. Last thing on Calvin, he has what they call Napoleon complex because as Ace and Rico played by Cameron are are arguing with him in the club, he's looking. They're looking down at him like yeah. he's looking up. Like, yeah. all right, man, I'm gonna see you later. Yeah, like that, that part could have easily been played by Eddie Griffin if it was a slightly different yeah. genre. Mm-hmm. Um, two things that I loved about this movie. Um, well, really, there's three. There's three things. The main character. Um, Ace. Ace, yeah. What, who, what's again, the Woods Harris also Woods played Harris. in uh, okay. He Got Game. 
Okay, and I saw he went on to play in I think the uh, the Wire. Oh yeah, oh the Avon uh, Barksdale baby. Okay, Avon Barksdale baby. I'm glad he. I, I went to his IMDb. I was very glad to see that he's still working. Remember the Titans he, Creed one and two. Okay. You want me to keep going? I'm a no. human IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He easily made the movie for me because oh, yeah. he was so. He was a perfect lead, a perfect straight man to carry everything for everybody to bounce off of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll get into that more okay. in a future segment. But the um, another thing that I really liked about it was, and that I picked up on, was the editing, the way they the way they paced the story out. Whenever there was a big decision that had to be that that was made, whenever there was like a, a cataclysmic event that happened, it would always jump to shortly after that event. And then they'd be like, like when he finds Lulu dead, uh, when what happens to Mitch happens, um, all, any event like that that's big, it jumps right after it, and then you go back and find out how it happened. And it gives you this impression, I think, in very successfully, that there is no choice in the lifestyle they're living. I love that you say that. I mean, because nowadays there would be a choice, but back then I, I I agree with you on that. But as far as you talked about with the pacing, think about the Scarface scene. As Mitch is going to go yeah. kill old boy, like Ace is in the movie watching Scarface. But even before that, when Ace first meets Lulu, you don't you don't what you don't remember is that now that's when Mitch that's when we first meet Ice. And mm-hmm. Mitch is going to go talk to Sonny. And as soon as he walks in, he's like, hey, Mitch, what's going on? He tries to what's up him. He passes right by this motherfucker, almost like some uh, a rat situation in, uh, yeah, in Kill. Yeah. But he, and, and, and so, and anything, here's the crazy part about it. The first person we really see Mitch what's up is the person that winds up killing Sonny in the end. Because remember he said mm-hmm. Leon did the work. Ice got arrested. Leon did the work. And who the Asked for five hundred thousand dollars in eighties. What the f- were they thinking? Like, dude, like at least make it reasonable. Like, man, fifty thousand. Yeah. Are you getting a finger? Hey. Like, five hundred thousand. The f- <coughs> five. Say, hey, somebody say, oh, Mister Big, five thousand dollars. Speaking of a lot of money, that was the other thing that I really liked about it. Was every once in a while it would go to these like abstract, surreal moments where money is raining down on different scenes, and like only Ace can see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was really cool. And like the final, like the cherry on top of that cake at the end, it pulls you back out of the production and shows them creating that effect for the movie that's being made. I thought that was uh, that was a really nice touch. It that I think. That singular aspect of it took this movie from like a run of the mill urban film mm-hmm. to this is this is this is not just shoot 'em up drugs and this is no. something that is thoughtful. And, and think about it. Like even think about it too real quick. Uh two things. I'm gonna start with Ace and Segway and back to talk until how you were talking about the scene. With Ace, if you notice, when did you really did you you never saw Ace smoke? Mm-hmm. You never saw Ace really even drinking. That goes for even him. Even though they all were three different people between Rico, Ace, and Mitch, none of them were using their product. Like, maybe Rico and Mitch are hit the blunt every now and then, but as far as anything else, they were not, like, f***ed up with their money and like that. But with yeah. that being said, two things that I don't think that I know that whoever the cinematographer is or the director is, we know Charleston the third, one time for the three. Um, I don't know who idea it was, but 
I don't know if you caught this. When Mitch, that scene when Mitch lays down after he takes all his clothes off and he lays in the bed and he stares out. If you notice, what he, he, it, it, to the common man, it looks like he's just staring out into the living room where everything popped off earlier. No, mm -hmm. he's looking at the bars. There's only one way out, which is jail. He sees that. Like, damn, I'm laying here. And all he can see is some type, whenever the game's over, he's going to jail. He, he feels like he can't change it. And then when Ace goes back home and his wife is like, the uh, girlfriend's like seven, eight, nine months pregnant. And he said, didn't I tell you I was going to be here? And she finally goes back to sleep. He looks out his window. His windows are the same type of bars. Like they're both like, man, because that's where after mm -hmm. the, the fake cops came to him. He was like, man, walls closing in on me. I only see really one or two ways out. He he thought it was going to be jail or death. So whoever and they did it the same way. It's always a it was a it was a, a backup shot. It was like God, man. They, somebody really thought about that. Yeah, and he played it really well because you never knew. He was always kind of inside his own head. Correct. And He's tucking he did a his really chain good in. Job at making that entertaining. Right. Without, without like giving too much away. And definitely, and one last thing before we go was the, the simple fact was that he always, again, he always made it his business to not only just stick to himself. He realized the more people you feed, the less enemies you create. And yeah, so he was yeah. happy with not making maybe a million dollars a week, but maybe making five hundred thousand a week because now that the other five hundred thousand bought me security, comfort, people are gonna let me know what's going on. But uh, no, no, I, 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 I totally identify with that aspect of him. Like I've never dealt drugs, for uh, I've never dealt drugs, but I would. But the, the way that his he, the way he approached the hustle. That's, if you were gonna deal drugs, that's how you would want to deal drugs. Well, that, I mean, that's how I deal my services. I, I look at what's out there, like as far as photography, oh, editing, okay. things like that. I undercut the competition. That's right, right, right. And I still eat all right. And so I, and I, so like by not being greedy, you pick up all the business where most people are like. And he I'm said not. that he said he started selling other people because he had better product at a lower price. He was selling faster and giving more. So yeah, those are the talking points for paid in. Let's move on to big bikes. Bikes, 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 bikes. All right, here are the facts for paid in full. We have 10 for you today. All right, number 10, true story. Paid in full is based on the story of AZ Faison Jr., Alberto Martinez, and Richard Porter, and their control over much of the drug trade in New York City in the 1980s. Faison is actually a credited writer for an early draft of the film's screenplay. 100% correct, man. Good research. Number nine, big money. The real-life Ace Boogie made 100 grand per week selling cocaine. That's over $5 million a year. Right, and then like 30, 40 years later, another rapper named himself that I guess in tribute to his name is Ace Boogie. And I wonder if he really, if he really made off with those diamonds. I do, I do wonder how much of the story is, uh, is, is true. And I'm going to say he did because then the attackers would really come back and kill you because they really want to know where the rest of their diamonds were at. Yeah. Which in the end probably got Lulu killed. Uh, number eight, a dash of creative liberties. AZ Faison Jr., a.k.a. Ace, accused producer Damon Dash of massively altering and watering down the script. According to Faison, his original script was a cautionary tale against drugs as well as a social commentary on the impact that drugs have had on the black community. 
Faison said the end result was nothing more than a marketing tool for Dash to promote Cameron, a then newcomer to Dash's label Rockefeller Records. Well, I have to disagree with that because number one, when you sell your screenplay, that's just it. You sell it. True Blood isn't the same as True Blood. Books aren't always translated into movies. I mean, the way they're, that the core fans like. So at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself as a screenplay artist, do you want to see your story being told or do, if, it, if it's watered down so much, do you want to remove yourself from it? And furthermore, one thing I will say is this is like I, I just at that point time in life I Cameron as a rapper to me was just like all right you're just a run-of-the-mill rapper so when I found out he was in the film I was not expecting anything but when I tell you he literally turned my eye open as an actor myself I'm like yeah this motherfucker can act and, and you you'd have a long more a longer career in acting than you had in rap so you might want to think about that Cam Cam we're, uh, we're I, shooting some I, movies still I, I will say that the end result was a great film but I have thoughts that kind of correlate with this fact that I'll get into and what we would have changed. Okay. Um, number seven, half full. Paid in full condenses real life events to span over seven years into 12 months. For instance, in the film, Ace becomes a dealer in 1986, but this actually happened in 1983 after he saw Scarface. The downfall of the main characters didn't transpire in real life until the years 1989 to 1992. So that goes back to the last fact of, of how this story was greatly condensed. That there was a lot of liberties taken to take what happened in seven years transpire in the course of a year. Um, and again, that that's something I'll get into more on I mean, what I would like to see change. Hollywood has been whitewashing for years. Put Will Smith with a Latina. He can't be with a strong black woman. It's not going to sell. Yeah. <laughs> thought I put it out there. I got you, Will. You want? I got you. Number six, a time and place. When Mitch and Ace are talking in the red BMW, if you look in the background, you will notice what appears to be a 90s model Ford Explorer, as well as a second generation Nissan Pathfinder, which didn't hit the streets until 1995. Who knew that Peyton Full was actually a science fiction film featuring time travel? Um. What they should have had was the DeLorean in the background. No, flux, that would have made sense. Capacitor, that would have yeah. been dope. Shout out Doc Everett Brown. We don't need roads. We're <laughs> Where we're going, we. I'll, I'll get them, guys. Thank don't you. worry about it. Number five tribute. The world is yours logo on the coffee mug. Um, when in in the bathroom when when uh, what's his what's his fucking face comes and and beats the shit out of Mitch. Mitch. Yeah, that hit the mug in his bathroom. That is a direct callback. Yes, to the Cook Tours logo from the 1932 original Scarface. Mm -hmm. Good job, man. Very good job. Product place, not even product placement. It's just very good product placement. And it looks like they kind of they they like made that like because it, it kind of looked like it was recently. Um, like, uh, like melded together like yeah. i did see that like, like we like got like our witness thing green print or something yeah. that was just like push yeah. it on it's a good idea a sticker yeah number four jesus approves a poster for paid in full can be seen in kanye west's 2005 music video for through through the wire well of course i mean at that point in time he had just been given his rockefeller chain a few years prior to that and he was down with the camp so yeah that's probably true it's probably more of a rockefeller placement than a than a kanye, kanye placement choice. but yeah. he still approves well jesus does yeah number three for real Cameron stated that he really wanted the part, so he went for a wow factor at his audition. How did he do this? He brought his real gun from home and waved it during his reading. So actors out there, if you really want the part, hold your casting director's hostage at gunpoint. One, one, just hearing that one must really want to think. 
who's acting, Rico or Cameron? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I and I found that out in in an interview that he did before I saw the movie, which only added to like the mystique the, of the, the upness of yeah. Rico. Like, oh, this guy really is a wild card. The guy that's playing this guy is a wild card. There you go. Great casting. <clears throat> Number two, paid in full. And that joke will make sense when, when it's Well, you didn't even say it, right? It still sounds like you said full. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah. It paid, says full. Paid in full. No, it says full. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it'll make sense when it comes up on the screen with the two Ah, uh, damn it. Why didn't you tell me that? He's doing editor's choice again. All right, three, two, one, go. <laughs> Number two, paid in full. Full. Producers apparently got the last laugh. In 2016 <laughs> interview, Cameron stated that he was paid just $8,500 for his part in the film. However, he said he was grateful just to have the opportunity so early in his career, having just released his first album. I didn't realize that he had did that. For some reason, he had done so many mixtapes and other things like that. I didn't realize it was his first album. But again, yet again, I think it's his best <laughs> acting part I've ever seen. Well, and I heard that the, they shot the movie in 2000, even though it wasn't released till 2002. So he may have had more out by the time uh, that the movie right. came out. But Okay. Something tells me. Never mind. We'll Number one, not full yet. So I know you're going to love this one because you love sequels. A sequel to Paid in Full just might be in the works. In May of this year, Cameron revealed during an IG Live with Pandora's J1 that he is currently in talks regarding a follow-up to the 2002 cult hit. How in the hell that would even happen, I don't know. And I also have an alternative that I wish that they would, an alternative route that I wish that they would do instead. Um, again, I will get into that in the what I would like to have changed in this movie. Well, I'm um, going to tell you this right now. I definitely f***ing hate sequels. And first and foremost, like, who wants to see, uh, who wants to see Rico after how he went out? Like, motherfucker said, now listen, I ain't snitching on nobody from Harlem. Now, I give, you, I give you some cats getting busy in D.C., but when I come home, I'm still going to be the king. And thus, the confidential informant was born. Thanks, yeah. Cam. <laughs> All right. And for this, uh, this episode's special segment of Big Facts, since we are dealing with a drug-oriented film, we have uh, top 10 drug films. Now, these do not have to be specifically about drugs. Drugs don't have to be the sole focus but they do have to be a driving factor it could be pro drugs it could be cautionary tales it could be stoner comedies pretty much the only the only running theme is that drugs play a large role in the movie there might even be some titles in here where drugs don't play a large role in the movie but the drug community has embraced the movie for oh, its i know i know vanilla skies on this list because only the drug community would embrace that and no, Vanilla Sky is not on this list. All right, whatever. Here we go. Number 10, Enter the Void. Gaspar Van No is known for his totally immersive brand of envelope-pushing filmmaking, and Enter the Void is like a normal Gaspar Van No film. Took psychedelics. It follows an American drug dealer as he observes a series of events after his death through an out-of-body experience. And I believe it's all like, it all appears to be one shot. Well, damn. Yeah, it, <clears throat> yeah there was some drugs used for that. It just, it, just hearing that name, I don't even believe I've ever seen that film, but it sounds like a like white boy Rick 20 years later, he's older or something like that. It is. It makes you feel like you're on. You don't have to take drugs to feel like you're on drugs. And you Why do I want to watch that? Kind of like that one is uh, number nine, Requiem for a Dream. Darian, Darian Aronofsky's... Uh, <clears throat> okay, so... 
Darren Aronofsky plus drugs equals pure insane madness. It is as stomach-turning as it is beautiful. The score is as ear-f***ing as it is ear-make-loving. The editing and cinematography are fantastic, and it kind of makes you feel pretty good about yourself with that harmless devil's lettuce addiction of yours compared to all the shit that's going on in that movie. By devil's lettuce, do you mean marijuana? Yes. Green? Yes. The stuff? Loud. The Bob Vila's friend? <laughs> Number eight, Friday. Friday is damn near perfect. It's like if John Hughes directed an urban comedy. The familiar stereotypes, the quiet underdog hero, the girl of his dreams, the bully that gets it in the end, and one memorable moment after another. It is a treat that stands the test of time. It, it really probably is a top three marijuana flick. Oh, yeah, we'll see when we get to the top three. It, this was a very hard list together to, to put together because... Drug films are usually done to such a high quality, a high standard. True. Um, number seven oh is Pineapple gosh. Express. Over fried? Are you? Are you saying it's not in the order, right? No, this is in. This is in a. This is in my biased order. All right. So and and hear me out because Pineapple Express is Seth Rogen, James Franco's defining role that arguably helped change the trajectory trajectory of his career. Starring this genre-bending stoner comedy that is effectively so much more than just a stoner comedy. There are real stakes here, real suspense, real action, all while staying true to the hilarity of a stoner comedy, even in those suspenseful moments when people are getting murdered. So his foot sticking through that window is funnier than Smokey and Debo's chicken coop with the, with the cage with the, with the uh, birds. There are definitely moments of Friday that are funnier than Pineapple Express, but um, uh, overall, and, and I'm also looking at it from a filmmaking perspective, I, was, I think Pineapple Express broke the mold for stoner comedies and said a stoner comedy can also be like a really well-fleshed-out action film. Cheech and Sean might have something to say about that. Let's roll. <clears throat> Number six, Super Troopers. Broken Lizard comes out the gate swinging with this hilarious stoner comedy that you 100% quoted if you were a teenager in the early 2000s. I agree. I love, I love. Hey, somebody want a mustache, right? You want a mustache, right? Littering hey, and. Hey, what's one? Littering and. You say meow. What? <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> um, number five, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. If there were a drug use simulator, this is it. And I'm sorry, this is Terry Gilliam. I didn't realize that he did that movie. But again, terrific films, terrible people. Can we separate the art from the artist? Oh, always. He's just still an asshole. Yes, yes. A racist the, asshole. And I, and I, the, I yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, after this, that list you dropped last week, me saying racist asshole is like PG-13 after that list you just dropped. And really, I credit Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas to Hunter S. Thompson hmm. uh, because it's, it's based on his novel, um, and it's really, it stays true to his novel. Uh, Johnny Depp, Benicio Del Toro fit mm -hmm. all too comfortably into the, into the chaos of their roles. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not a movie that I go to, to watch just like, just for the hell of it, because it is a commitment to get into. It's almost like you're taking drugs and you have to go along for the ride. I mean, think of it. When does Benicio Del Toro ever let you down? Never. Me Never. Number four, A Scanner Darkly. Richard Linklater's film, based on the avid drug user Philip K. Dick's novel of the same name, takes place in a dystopian future where a good portion of the population are addicted to a drug called Substance D. The film's rotoscoped animation style and metaphoric themes throughout creates the perfect blend of visual and mental stimulation to go with a good sativa smoke. Substance D. 
That Frasier. movie is yes, yeah. That movie, it, that movie is a conversation starter, especially if you smoke the blunt before, while, and after watching it. It will, it'll f you up. Okay. Uh, number three, Easy Rider, Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper, Jack Nicholson. Road tripping across the states. Dennis Hopper also directed the film and made the decision to use real drugs in the film to add to the authenticity. But what really sets this film apart for me is the minimalist yet trippy style of abrupt cut editing and the out-of-the-box cinematography that Easy Rider boasts. Definitely one of its kind. Number two, Big Lebowski. Not technically a movie about drugs, but come on. The Dude, Walter, <laughs> Donnie. It is a classic from the Coen brothers, and I don't trust someone who has not seen this movie and also loved it. I know you're getting ready to do your honorable mentions, but the fact that I'm looking at your honorable mention and American Gangster is not on there is such a disappointment. Yeah, the, this was a hard list to put together. There's yeah, so hard many drugs or what? I mean, what are we talking about? <laughs> so here are my honorable mentions. Train spotting, dazed and confused, traffic, blow, the basketball diaries, half Nelson, grandma's boy, dude, where's my car? How high, half baked, I love you, Alice B. Toklas, Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, and Spun. Alright, number one, the trip. This is in the 60s, around the same time that Easy Rider came out. Jack Nicholson wrote it. Roger Corman directed. Peter Fonda brings it to life. The premise is simple yet twisted. A salesman takes LSD for the first time. Let the show begin. Like Easy Rider, there are fantastic techniques born out of the limitations of early cinema. It is an inspiring movie to watch if you're an aspiring filmmaker. Uh, it shows that you can accomplish something very interesting using a lack of budget to your advantage with a little imagination and a lot of out-of-the-box thinking and probably some authentic drug use as well so that is that is my list for the uh top 10 drug films plus some honorable mentions um you guys let me know in the comments what was missed here and what did i what do you think i missed right now besides american gangster hmm no, that was a, that's what I wanted to leave with was American Gangster because it was it was tough. I mean, because it was such a film about not only was he dealing again because we're talking about paid in full. He was and dealing that, drugs that's in one Harlem. Of, that's one of Denzel Washington's straight to DVDs, right? Negative, boy. <laughs> Negative. See, see, he's fucking with me now. I'm not going to let you do this to me. So anyway, we're, I thought you I thought you would have it on there because he was selling drugs in Harlem. This we're doing paid in full, which is in Harlem. Furthermore, he was using you, the you had the military propaganda aspect of it to where he was getting. He was getting the purest stuff from out the country, but he wasn't just bringing it in. No, he was bringing it in in the coffins of dead soldiers. Like, that's a story unbeknownst to itself. I'm going to have to watch it. I, it it probably would have been on the list. He wind up snitching a little bit like Cameron did. He like, yo, 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 because when I come home, I'm still going to be king. He came home and still got caught selling drugs later in real life. If that's not a movie, I don't know what the is yeah okay i mean had i seen it it probably would have made the list but i have not seen that one yet so we'll see you in season two guys <laughs> all right that is big fikes we are moving on what we got next and this is where we tell you our favorite scenes of the film and i am going to go ahead and start because i know you guys are wondering number one why half my nipple has been exposed like janet jackson and his chest is as bare as a bird that uh was used during the living weight reference so with that being said uh we are rocking these robes for one man and one man only mr 
King Rico. Rock him and sock him. Go get him. No pain having all go Harry Stamper. Rico here. Man, look here, man. Hey, let me tell you something. This is this is going in my top three. No matter what film we do this season, this is going to my top three scene still or, or seven minutes of heavens all season. I'm telling oh, you that right wow. now. Wow, high praise. Okay. Okay, listen. It's one thing to go third person verbally. Mm. It's another thing to go third person visually. I think he may be the first person on earth and in the film to ever go sixth person. It's when your three egos are like appreciating your other three egos. Okay. I'm just going to make this short and sweet. We only have so much time in this segment, but f*** it. He wouldn't mind anyway. Cameron, that play, uh, play, plays the character Rico. First off, let's start with the fact Rico's in the club with a fucking robe on. Like, at that point, like, this is a conscientious decision. He didn't get robbed. Nobody threw it over him last minute. Like, hey, yeah. man, we got to get you back home. Nobody, like, nobody pulled him out of the driver's side window of their car and made uh, him strip down to Oh, so road. you must have saw my book. So, okay, yeah, you saw the book. So, we'll get there. So, Rico, the same Rico that he's mentioning, is in the club with the robe on. Okay. Not even okay. I can't even let that ride. High, drunk, sober. I can't let that ride. But Rico has a robe. Okay, let's pass that the only reason that you can actually take your eye off the fact that Rico's wearing this robe is because you see a bunch of people crowded around him like they're in the amphitheater of a foot like or watching a football game or something. Mm -hmm. And then we cut to the TV in the club. And who else do we see? Not Rico, ravishing Rico. Yeah. Rico with his clothes still on is giving this chick the business i'm talking about whatever he's got however many inches is in rico he is giving it to her not only is he giving it to her he is pouring champagne all on this. he's just uh, uh 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 and then as he's doing this he tells his friends in the club look at me yeah no go ahead look yeah. no f that no this is rico we don't worry about that. This is what he does. Then, as he's telling his friends, hey, look at him. Man, you're drawing too much attention. Be cool. Hey, man, oh. f that. Man, you, what the f you got movie soldiers for if you can't use them? So yeah. then, yeah. he's, he's f this bitch, pouring champagne on it. He said, look at me. Did you see what I did? I hit the Dougie on that bitch. He did the Dougie as he's doing the Dougie. Which so, means he's seen this a few times. <laughs> yes. So, he successfully went six person for the first time a human has ever done that. All three of his egos, him, the person he thought he was, and the person he was talking about, had a conversation in the club with the robe on. You, my friend, are seven minutes in heaven. Damn, seven inches in heaven. You get it, Rico. That scene brought me back, too, because this was before the days when you could just upload something or send something to your friends. You, <laughs> you had to bring a VHS. And His like, editing skills. Like, here. Yeah. Rico the editor. Not to mention Rico the director. You saw him directing the girl during the scene. Now move that. Yeah. Move that. Move that. Y'all see when I hit my dugout? <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. God, Rico. <laughs> that, I'll give that to Cameron because as up as a character he is he also accounts for some of the most some of the most hilarious moments while oh, yeah. still being a up character kermit kermit <laughs> he called him up he had on the big glass and he was small and he was green he that's why he called him he kermit shoots the dude in the ass get the out of here he no, shoots him in the but ass you didn't get our first sesame street reference he calls calvin kermit because he's small and green like you know you call him you a green mother like you're small and green get the what you doing kermit and he says it to him when he kills him he yeah. right hey kermit nah, nah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, man. I'm sorry. That shit just got me way too excited. Um, I like the scene. Uh, we kind of talked about this earlier with Lulu and uh, Mitch. The, the, the scene that kind of drove the difference between them. When you see Mitch talking to Ice in the corner store at the same time that Ace is talking to Lulu up in the apartment. 
um, that was like the first taste you get in the movie of going of like this 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 editing style where you're getting like two things simultaneously and they and there's like cues after that point like oh these are poetically put together for a reason they're not just because they're happening at the same time sometimes they're not even happening at the same time they're put together because they're meant to give you as the audience this like yin and yang it's a poetry feel to it because poetry is not a story straight through. It gives you callbacks and things of that nature. And furthermore, mm-hmm. when you see that, to me, what was more important about the scene you just brought up is what we always talk about, character development. You see them showing the choices they're making, why they're making Like you see Lulu respecting Ace because Lulu, at the end of the day, Lulu and Ace were the same person. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was like, it's basically without saying it, I just hate crap, crappy movies where they tell you, hey, man, I like you. I'm going to put you under my wings. Don't spoon feed these f***ers. Yeah. I can tell that he liked them. So, yeah, that's definitely a good scene, man. Uh, for me, um, it's kind of a segue to, because uh, I know we go back and forth with Seven Minutes in Heaven here. Um, to me, it was not a callback to, but I almost think, I don't think they had anything to do with each other, so I'm not going to say the writers or somebody had influenced off the film, but me looking at Training Day. And in training day, when Denzel goes to see the wise men, you know, that, that meeting of the judges, all these corrupt people or whatnot, it, it likens to me, because think about it now, this is what most people don't understand. When we started the film, Ace, and this is why it's one of my favorite scenes, if not my favorite scene, I mean, when we start the film, we see Ace go to the hospital, he, he's bloody and everything, he looks, and you mentioned the money falling down. Money just didn't fall down in the club. It, he says later on in the film, I've been seeing this light for a while now. Mm-hmm. So point being is, do you know where he's looking at? When that money's falling down at the beginning of the film? That's outside the, the laundromat, right? Correct, but what's right across the street? I don't know. The place Lulu took him. Oh, that's where okay. the uh, the oh, Italian, okay. the that's yeah, where yeah. they, that's that spot. So ironically, you had one job on this side of the street, you had one job on the other side of the street, but that's not why it's the scene. It's the scene to where, first off, Lulu liked you. Like, and and to, to, to him, back in those days, he was a Muliano. Fucking Ace is a Muli. Mm-hmm. You, you go into that fucking Muli, you know what I'm saying? They even referenced that later. Oh, you're you a funny guy. It was a definitely, it definitely was a Goodfellas reference in there. They called back, I was like, oh, yeah. you're a funny man, you're a funny guy. But with that being said, he goes in there. He shows, number one, that Ace always showed he was a businessman. He brings back, like, he said 23 long or 20 dollars. He brings them back, like, a lot of f***ing money. And, like, five... He, he was smart, though. He always kept the... He, he was, like, he kept some diamonds for himself, he, too. Because he, like, did, he didn't like, know how it was going to go. Yeah. He didn't. Yeah. And that's the thing. I don't even think he kept them on him. He kept them where somebody in his family can find them. Mm-hmm. But he sits down and has that meeting. You see that one wild card, mother... I wish we got to find his name to do the one. Like, hey, hey, whoa, 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 what you doing? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I yeah. like him. He was finna pop this mother... That's their so. What you got? That was their Rico. He what probably you, wasn't even told to do that. Dude, that was probably the natural instinct him. that came right, out. Yeah. Right, like yo, 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 you're right. And, but you need motherfuckers like I mean, what the fuck you got soldiers for if you can't use them? Cool, yeah, Rico. That was a great line. Too. Yeah. So he comes up to him, and like he hasn't known them for five minutes. Five minutes, and they basically have that roundtable meeting to where he trusts a so much. He gives him fourteen keys and says, "Just go do your thing." Like to me, that doesn't happen in everyday life. They first off, he brought the money back, which their mind up and what me up was even if he didn't bring the money back they didn't even look like they was gonna miss it yeah yeah they yeah they weren't looking for it clearly <laughs> okay yeah so yeah, they were was, surprised that it came back to right them. like oh, oh okay yeah um when uh now that's my honorable mention so my number two is when mitch throws ice out of his mom's house um, I thought that scene was so powerful because you said when Mitch throws ice. Yeah, when he comes in and he he beats the shit out of him and throws him out. But pretty you much, know who ice is to him, correct? Would that be his? Uh, I did. I thought it, I took it as just his somebody mom's was friend. No, that's his actual uncle. 
Oh, okay. So well, that, that delves that relationship. To so that makes that scene even more powerful. The right? way that the way that Ice is talking to him, and the way that he's talking about Sonny. Correct. When, and that was guess like, what he used to be Sonny. Mitch used to be Sonny, and guess what? Ice was still there, and Ice was supposed to do for for Mitch what Mitch was doing for Sonny. Mm-hmm. And see if you notice that one scene, like I like I, they didn't say it, but I know Mitch grew up seeing Ice tile from the bathroom and get up on drugs. So when he comes there and he sees fucking Sonny laid out on the thing sleeping, he's like trying to figure out who the fuck watching Sonny. And the first thing you see is him open the door. Notice he's tied off. As soon as he yeah. opens that door, he's like, "Dude, yeah. what the fuck's wrong with well, you?" Well, he hit an he hit an insecure part of of Mitch in that moment because he said he's he gonna said, be just like you. Yeah, and you could tell that Mitch was not uh, was not angry really with Ice. He was angry with himself. Because yeah, and you find out at the end he he's not in it for the money. He's in it because he feels like he needs that approval, that oh, acceptance dude. from everybody. Talking about a f-ing four years, four score and seven drugs ago. This motherfucker, like, I'll, I'll I'll get to that later. Remind me to come back to that. Go ahead. So for yeah, me, so that that was definitely my number two. Oh, uh, okay. So for me, one of the scenes and I think is on yours too. So we both we we might as well both talk about it. Rico yet again makes an appearance in one of my top seven minutes, seven minutes in heaven because top scenes. At this point. Kermit the Frog then already stole his homeboy. Well, not his homeboy. His assailant is uh, is uh, Ace's money. Mm-hmm. They out there. They hungry. You know what I'm saying? That all this shit is going on. The dude pulls up. It's like, hey man, y'all. Like it wasn't a dude trying to buy drugs for him for him to use. He wanted to buy drugs, to go sell to somebody else. They were like, man, ain't nothing right now. The equivalent of ain't nothing in the '80s. Basically, ain't nothing right now. Yeah. And dudes keep talking like, come on, man. Then and, and now this is Rico still being somber. Rico is never somber. He's like, hey man, I just I just told you, man, it ain't nothing. And then oh boy, Rico's the type of person that never needs drugs. He just needs a little bit to feel like he's trying. That motherfucker say, man, goddamn, Calvin got y'all shook. Listen, dude, I've seen a lot of movies. Anytime I've seen somebody really get pulled out of a car, I pre- I'm not saying he used one <laughs> hand, but to me, it looked like he reached inside of a car, yeah. pulled this man out. Put it this way, in the history of film, no one's ever been pulled out of a car and derobed in 12 seconds. Yeah. That's he said, give me the sneakers, too. <laughs> that's what, so they set Rico up so well because, like I said, he was an enjoyable char- character to watch, but he was also terrifying because he would, he would, you could, you would see literal joy come upon him when he was the more he was with somebody like he he was diabolical and oh. he took joy in it well speaking of that like speaking of that when you say diabolical i bet you didn't think that we were going to get a harry potter reference in this episode but this is how good we are here at ttft where david and Tarian are so good at film that we're the only ones on the entire planet that can make a paid in full and harry potter reference here we go kids wouldn't you know that the one reason why I could connect these two, let's just say Ace was Ace was Gryffindor. Who was Rico? Slytherin. Think about it. Equally not as equally as powerful from a certain aspect, but think about it from the moment I talked about last week we talked about how they set Worm up from the beginning. It took a couple of people to set Worm's character up. It only took Rico to set Rico's character up. Now that's the brilliant part about it. Between Mitch, Ace, and Rico, they all had beautiful minds in different ways. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, we first meet Rico. Rico had his ears to the street. So right already while Rico's in jail, he hears that Mitch is coming to jail because he murdered that dude. So Mitch comes to jail. He really he realizes he has to befriend Mitch because he's getting back out. He, Rico has to befriend Mitch because Rico is trying to get close to Ace. And Rico knows he's going to get out before Mitch to even try to have something to meet Ace. So 
everything Rico pretty much did for the most part was always calculated. You saw he was always trying to get that DC connect. It was never enough for him. Yeah. While while Mitch did it for Mitch didn't do it for the money. Yeah, Mitch loved his money, but he really loved the acclaim, the crowd cheering. Mm -hmm. Rico was all about the money, and Ace was all about being quiet. So it's almost like a Gryffindor, Slytherin. Muggle-born syndrome, because you know Mitch was Muggle-born, and then we start start getting money. He was like, "Nah, it always I can't stop. Mm -hmm. We'll keep going for that." So yeah, that's my favorite yeah, part they, of it. That was, I mean, they're all definitely three different three. They approach it three very different ways, but they all they all have the same goal for three very different reasons. Correct, or at least that they'll accomplish the same outcome, but for well, no, three I don't think they all goals. have the same goal. No. Well, I mean, the same—they uh, can accomplish the same. They can accomplish, accomplish their, the their, same uh, They can accomplish their goals doing using the same common denominator. Yeah, they, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Pretty much, they're like like you said. One wants one wants the acclaim. One wants the money. One wants the security and just just to be all right yeah. and and take care of everybody around them. It was, it was eerily similar to if you've ever seen Belly DMX. It's like they rolled DMX's character to they rolled Mitch and uh, and Rico into one for DMX character and Belly and Nas was. Uh, ace okay yeah yeah um my honorable mention before i get the number one is the uh when mitch goes up to the uh dealer on the stoop and the dealer got robbed and he's like well first you know mitch him out but the best part was when <laughs> he's <laughs> don't go that way but yeah don't go that way go that way like what the why does it matter which way? This is because you've been making the wrong decision all. <laughs> oh, so he just assumed. Yeah, oh, but whatever way you decide, whatever way you decided to go, go the other way. Because you've been making a bad decision. Day. Now here's the up part about not. Here's the good part about why this is beautiful. I didn't even know you had that scene, but an important part about that scene was this. Think about what he said. He before he said you ain't eating. Get out of here. Go find him. Until that, you ain't eating. Mm -hmm. What happens at the beginning of the movie when he loses the bet? He ain't had the money. You ain't eating. He took he took his Chinese food and yeah. stuff. So it's the callback. And the way it goes, that scene that that's the scene that goes directly into him, the, to the retaliation that's timed right up with Scarface going, say hello to my little friend. Yes. That was, that was great So here's editing. the thing. If, real quick before we get out of this part, because I know if, if, if Mitch doesn't go retaliate, he doesn't go to jail, he doesn't meet Rico, most of that shit never happens. Mm-hmm. All right. So my number one scene is they found Mitch. That scene is so powerful with Regina Hall, her performance, and not just because I have this, I have a crush on her, but I think there's the reason why that scene is so powerful is because it's so familiar to how we are accustomed to getting horrifically horrible news uh, in reality. In most cases, it's not firsthand. In most cases, we're finding out after the fact, very similar to, for me personally, it brought me back to the phone call with Jeff's mom, where she, we've been looking for him for three days, and you get the phone call, and it's like, it's one of the, you're getting information that you should have been prepared for in some way, but when the information comes, it's still blindsiding and there's no way that you could have ever, ever prepared for it. And that moment, that moment captured that emotion and that heartbreak so perfectly. So like it was, you, you could feel it. You could touch it. The blocking in that scene was top notch because again, we get him walk in with the one shot and then 
it shows you like to me so much emotion going on in that scene. And at first I'm like, okay, some overacting is going to come on Woods Harris part. But then you realize like, no, that's exactly how you're not yourself when you get mm-hmm. that news. Just not who you are. And then when he falls down against that wall, you see it's like, damn, they're on different sides of what's going on. But it shows you like they're all hurt. And then again, the, the sucker punch was like a scary movie. They make it seem scary. Then nothing happens. And all of a sudden, damn, bitch. That is yeah. such a, so wait a minute. He walks in. And what does he say? Damn, they found Sonny. So he's yeah, getting ready to so break you, down about Sonny. Right, and you're ready for that yeah but and then, then they're like nope blindside here comes the left boom. and it knocks you out but then. here's the crazy part about it what they're not letting you know like the common audience would stop just there and say well okay he talked about he thought it was sunny and it was his one of his best friends pretty much my best friend mitch mm. and see another thing i want to talk about with that dynamic real quick and I was, i'm glad that you said that was your top scene because i wasn't going to say that but i'm loving that you said that because all through the film you saw th- there were the two best friends even when even all three of them were taking pictures in the club Mm-hmm. Rico was never next to uh, Ace. It was always it was always Mitch in between them. Go back and look at it. he's never yeah, yeah, never yeah. they yeah. never really see them together. But my point was this is that what you didn't understand was this like he was losing his best friend. Furthermore, at that moment he knew because he gave him the, he knew who killed him. Yeah, and that 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 goes back to the awesome storytelling, the way the movie was cut. The, that's what made that scene so powerful. Is you you. You walk into a scene, you find out that re- that that Mitch died, and then you get the double sucker punch when you go back and find out that it was Rico that did it. When of course you're going to assume that, but the to see it actually happen, you already know how it's going to play out, and that scene is still powerful to watch him do it. And then the gratifying moment on the basketball court, which when, we'll get to. Which okay. But the foreshadowing okay. happened before that you notice in the club, but see me, this is this is why I say you can be a film watcher or a filmmaker, but it's hard to be both because I found myself watching the film and, and you at certain points you still got to, and I, I know me and you do it now, we'll be watching the film we've seen a hundred times, we'll be like, oh snap, we're looking at it from the block and we're looking at this point. In the club scene where Rico is showing that whole, like when Ace comes up to him, like man, why you got to be like this? So, so to me, Ace has child, got to handle him, he's been ready to handle uh, Calvin, mm-hmm. but at the, uh, once again, cinematography blocking, as he's saying this to, to Rico, what is what? Is, this is when I knew Rico was going to be. I mean, we all knew Rico was going to be the demise of him. But as Ace is trying to tell him, man, chill out, chill out. He's like, that's what I do. That's what I do. He was like, man, now nah, see, that's the problem. He like, what's the problem? He like doing a little rolling like a, like a kid's mindset is that of a kid. Yeah. yeah. He's rolling his eyes like this mother. Like the same. This Ace's story for everybody. Like you eating. Mm-hmm. What's the f-ing problem? Mm-hmm. And I certainly, I firmly believe. I don't know if you remember this scene. I think it was a setup because again, he was always slithering. Rico was slithering. Remember when Rico came to Ace? Ace sitting in the car just like this was a call back to Jay Z sitting in the car and and uh, state property because that's how Jay Z was sitting in the car. Another Rockefeller film just like that. They got Ace sitting in the car the same way. Rico comes up to Ace like say, "Man, I heard something. This dude right here was trying to set you up." You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah, he's yeah, trying yeah. to pr- like gain more loyalty to him when he probably told that dude like, man, I'm a he was never trying to set Ace up, and he shot the dude in the ass. Yeah, <laughs> and that was the scene I was talking about where Rico had his name on his shirt three times. What the f- Rico, Rico, Rico? <laughs> Jeez. And, hey, what's you know what's also funny about that? Real quick, I know we're going to the next segment. What's what what's the what's the crime they call it when you conspire with a whole bunch of people and a crime is committed? Isn't that the Rico Act? And yeah. that's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. All right, that concludes seven minutes in heaven. What do we got next, Mr. Royal? What do we have next, David? I'll tell you what we have next. We have scene stealers. And what we're talking about, are you a female? Are you a male? Are you whatever you identify as? If you're really doing what you do when it comes to being on screen, well, this is the category for you. We're going to start with Mr. Polanski. Who was your scene stealer for paid in full? 
All right. First, I got three honorable Jesus mentions. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Pfeiffer, of course. Okay. Love him. An honorable mention. He's great in this. Okay. Especially his role in this was perfect for him because it, it reminded me of kind of like his role's future. He uh-huh. is a ray of sunshine cheerleader for whoever he decides to get behind. Like the way, oh, I see the car, baby. I see that train, baby. I see you shining, baby. This baby like, really could, got you, did Yo, baby, yeah, dude. Um, Nobody puts baby in a car. <laughs> Regina Hall. <laughs> Because I just love her, and she's she's just... She cried at a drop of a dime. That yeah. came out of nowhere. And that scene at the <clears throat> diner and with her and Ace was really cool, too. How she's like, you know, that, that money don't money impress me. Impress me, and I'm with you because I'm boring, too. Now, give me that but, money. Yeah. <laughs> um, my last honorable mention is Chi McBride, Pip. Great character. I think he was essential for the... You talking about Mr. Pitt? Yeah. No, oh. Pip. Pip. Oh, I'm sorry, I said Pip. No, it's Pitt. With you, okay. you watched the movie. Damn it, <laughs> picture in picture. Um, yeah. I, I that was a great character, a very necessary character. I don't know if it was. If Why it did was it feel like the dude that played uh, Charles Dutton played that? I, I feel like Forrest Whitaker could have could have rocked that role, but uh, you're, don't do that. Shit. You're trying to make up for that Black Panther shit you pulled. You're not a Forrest Whitaker fan. Ah, he'll never see it coming. Uh, but no, Chi McBride was great as that part. It was a nice, it was a nice grounding character amidst all the chaos that's happening in the movie. Um, but my number one, and before I, before I, before I put him on the board, quick catch up. Episode one, we did Black Panther. That's a Koye. Episode two, we did Tenet. That is our friend uh, Robert Pattinson. Uh, episode three, we did The Living Wake. Michael Connell goes on the board for The Living Wake. Episode four, we did Matthew Rounders, and we Damon. got uh, uh, old downsizing Matt Damon over here over Edward Norton. Not Dogma, you went downsizing? Uh, he had to go downsizing. That was his decision that he made, not me. Um, this episode, uh, I will be putting on the board Wood Harris. Um, cool, subtle, quiet, powerful. Uh, he is like the Donald Glover before Donald Glover. He has, he is like- That's high praise. He's like the embodiment. Uh, he reminded me of his demeanor, his cool, quiet demeanor kind of reminded me of uh, Most Def. Like, I feel like he could be a, if Most Def wasn't an actor and couldn't play himself in a biopic, Wood Harris would be a perfect um, surrogate for that. I think he, like I said before, he carried the movie perfectly. He was the perfect character, the, the perfect character to like for all the craziness to bounce off of without him being too affected by it. He he, as the lead, he let everybody else shine around him, and he kind of observed, like took the position as the of the audience, and you and you just kind of get his reaction to everything is kind of matching what yours is, just kind of taking it in, learning as you go being cool about it, uh, Wood Harris, yeah. I don't disagree with you. I just find it funny that less than probably tenant tenant time here, a week ago, we did this again, and your reasons were the exact opposite. So I'm going to have the fans decide who the real David Polanski is. because are you talking about? Because last week, yeah, that's right, exactly, scratch that head. (laughs) Last week, um, I I said I wanted Matt Damon, and 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 I told you the reason why I'm like, he centralized the character. He had to deal with all these people, emotions, he was the perfect, and you were just sitting over there like, might have been twirling your hair or something, and so then you come back, did did you watch our show from last week and then get inspired to get to, to, (laughs) this is what you look for in film now, but it's okay. I already told you last week, I had a very biased reason why Matt Damon wasn't my choice. It was 
I agree with everything you said. Only because the you challenge. made me want to watch Good Will Hunting. You, oh, you did say that. Now you did say that, and not downsizing. That I have not watched downsizing. Oh, okay, I guess to. we won't be doing that during season two. For me, and you said before the show, and guys, as you always know, complete complete transparency. You should make us invisible now, but no more work for you editing. <laughs> that you we talked about before the show uh you said that you thought that we would have the same character or the same artist and i'm here to tell you that we don't damn it now why i this is one of i'm gonna pull my david polanski here while i wholeheartedly agree with everything you said like every it's not even gonna take me the much as much time we have left i know you guys (laughs) see our little playstation reverse meter here backing up uh going forward but it's not who you think it is or should i say it's not that person but i agree with everything you said what's funny is it's not even funny for me I have a name in here, and I'm gonna say it the way I want to say it the way I put it in my in my book here to do it the correct way. I have Money Making Mitchell Mackay Pfeiffer as my top artist for this, and I'll explain why. To me, I guess I, I you can call me biased or whatnot, but to me, like Ace's task weren't simple, but he was so mentally prepared. He's always going. He was gonna do good at whatever he did. Ace could have been, like you said, they, they joked about it. Maybe you'll be like George Jefferson, have the cleaners. Maybe you'll do this. Maybe nobody ever says you're going to be dead in jail. Even when Ace started selling drugs, no one ever dropped that cliche, you're going to be in dead or jail reference. So everybody knew, even Rico knew, they all knew Mitch was going to be all right, which is why Mitch had to respect. I'm sorry, they knew uh, Ace was going to be all right. Ace had to respect the Colombians, the hood. Everybody said hey, Calvin. I got shot in the head, baby. Yeah, this motherfucker is, is, is he is he is this tombstone? Is he Kurt Russell walking across this fucking waterway and thirty bullets coming in? <laughs> I mean, good Jesus! It Talk a, about the affect, matrix. It affected me. I'm gonna be walking different, thinking different. Yeah, damn right, it affected you. You got <laughs> shot in the fucking head, baby. Several. T- oh, speaking of that, you made me think about something. Oh, r- real quick before I go into my, uh, um, the Makai thing, think about that one scene. Like that, it's not a jib shot. Clearly, somebody put a, a camera up on the top. But think about it. He saw his uh, his child's mother, and I believe it was his mom. It doesn't show who the other lady is. At least I don't remember who the other lady was. But they're laying dead on the bed, and he thought he was going to die. And what does he do? You know the shot I'm talking about, man. It's so powerful. It's only like three seconds. But he comes mm-hmm. and just lays on the bed. Yeah. And they're like, oh, shit. He thought, he's like, if I'm going to die, bury me with my PGs, this is it. Yeah, yeah. That, that was, was, that was, it was at that man. point in the movie that I wouldn't have been surprised if they would have killed the kid. Just they did because. kill the kid, though. What do you mean? Oh, oh you mean, oh, you talking about, like, director-wise, like, film. Yeah. And, that, yeah. and here's the crazy part about it. They say the kid died. They, they survived by, they did say survived by his father. So, the, okay, so the reason why I chose Makai Pfeiffer was for this reason is because of the fact that, to me, it deals with what you talked about before. He had depression issues and, and issues psychologically that were never dealt with. And that's not talked about in the black community. When you, it, Too many times when they talk about drugs or opioid addiction and things like that, it's when it expands. You've seen this. It's when it expands to uh, the, the popular, not even the popular community, just the masses. They, it's, like, it's like the Tuskegee experiment, uh, Tuskegee experiment all over again with rail tails and things of that nature. When they tested those cell uh, airmen with, for syphilis and things of that nature, it's like, like they... He was, they don't talk about the psychological aspect. The, 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 it was so, sometimes saying, you can say more without saying it. We never heard mm-hmm. one thing about Mitch's dad. Not one mm-hmm. time in this film that they even, like, like, even hit towards it. Yeah. That means that even the, from the screenplay, there was no mention of it. It's like, like, so to me, okay, boom, he's dealing with that, not having a dad. So guess what? He got to feel like he the man. Mm-hmm. Money got to be here. Because what I will not do, I ain't going to be hungry. Mom ain't going to be hungry. Sonny ain't going to be hungry. Nope. And, and if you notice, they call ice ice for a reason. That's a term for a drug. Oh, ice, yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, so that's yeah. happening right there, there. So he's dealing with that shit there then. So he got to be hard. 
That's why he was so hard on the street. When you think about it, like you, you, uh, Mitch was somebody you'd be a friend with, but mm -hmm. also you like, oh, this man, when it's time to ride, this motherfucker will not let it. You know why? Because it's stuff he hasn't dealt with. He doesn't realize when I go kill this motherfucker that that fucked up the block because they handling business, which I'm a, I'm taking this money to feed my my family and Sonny. I can go away for seven or eight years. They never show how long they going away. So for to me, when this, this, the guy said earlier that, that they didn't de delve it out the right way, I'm like, no. It shouldn't be up until it should be up until our interpretation. I'm looking at Mitch deal with having to handle this business at home, depression, be out on the streets, and then have the addiction to the the Jay-Z says it best. Fame is the worst drug known to man. It's stronger than heroin. You can look in the mirror and be like, you know, cause like when you say it's like that to me, that's why I, I and to me, I'm being honest with you. You got Makai Pfeiffer on ER. The other, I told you we talked about this probably a week ago. The best performance I had seen him do was in O. Mm -hmm. But then when we came to this, I'm like, man, are you fucking kidding me? Like as much as he knew, and they did, yeah, that, he, that scene in the car where he had like oh no 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 thank you thank you thank you so I can get this quote off this motherfucker this mother says hey uh, hey hey hold on here it is because I wrote this shit down I was like oh we got to talk about this this mother says uh because I want this I don't give a if you show me looking at this uh looking at this paper hold on when Makai Pfeiffer drops the best line of his life ironically from a guy that used to work on ER when he found out they sent him Sonny's finger he says yo I'm about to be on some straight up murder shit. I'm <laughs> telling you, Ace. Like, I'm like, oh, I believe you. Yeah. I like, I forgot I was watching a movie again. Like, I believed him. Yeah. He was ready to end it all, bro. And I was just, again, that's the pressure not being dealt with. Sonny's gone. He's failed at the one thing he could control. Mm -hmm. So to me, Makai Pfeiffer, again, they every every actor couldn't have done this, but what they did was they gave him a big play and said, let me see how you digest this. I think they meant for Ace to be the star and be the one, and I agree with everything. He's the chess player that he is, but God damn it. Makai Pfeiffer, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm Brian. I got to do what I can to get you on this board for this one, brother. Whatever I got to do, man. Makai, you my guy. How, how we how we breaking this one down? As far as what? As far as who who goes on the board. <sighs> how many? I wanted to be fair. Yeah. I wanted to be fair. What? Uh, I want it to be really fair. You're right. We got to figure out who. No, that's not fair. That's not fair. I know what you're going to do. It's not fair. Uh, I really want Makai, man. But I, but it has to be fair because I know you really want Woods. Um, all right. I know how to do it. Fuck it. We'll be completely. We'll be completely biased. And if she, I swear, if you let me down, I'm putting your ass on child support. Real quick question. I only need you for five seconds. You are being recorded. Tell me this. Acting wise, Makai Pfeiffer or Woods Harris? Woods Harris. Damn it. All right. Bye. You will not make this episode. Bye. <laughs> All right. On the board this week, we have Mr. Woods Harris. <laughs> and, he's, and he's so cool about it. He's not even he's not even getting flashy about it. He's not he's not pulling a gun out or shooting it up in the I air. I will say he's this just... is the one time where I didn't get what I wanted, but I'm OK with it. Cool. Cool. Because my Pfeiffer knows he's going to be in our next film that we write together after Black Canyon. Welcome to the board, Mr. Harris. Yay! I mean, he was in. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Remember Titans, man. Hey, we got to give it to him.
Come on, PD, you all right? PD, PD, PD. Hey, I, hey, IMDB over here, man. All right, let's move on to you are going to need a bigger... Do you think she heard the names I said? Yes. I should have had you call Angela. I should have had you call Angela. No, because she said... She didn't say option A or option B. She said Wood Harris. I don't think she heard me say Makai, but we're, we're with Woods. Congratulations. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. You are going to need a bigger boat. So, what... Well, I, I got I got three best lines. Uh, yeah, three. No, four. Okay. I got four. I got four lines. All right, I'm gonna go in first on this one since you went first with the last one. All right, so I had a lot more than four lines, but a lot of the lines that I would have wrote down, there, there were so many. Many things you couldn't say. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know how do you're gonna say that? Cause I'm like he's gonna have such a hard time with this. <laughs> to me, I couldn't even get. I don't even think I'm four minutes into the film till I'm like. Who the f is this guy? Like, if I didn't know who a rapper was, yet again, we've named Woods Harris and we talked about Makai. I think we've done all three of the characters uh, justice. But it's f Rico. Top three lines here. And I may be paraphrasing. We don't paraphrase on quotes, but this motherfucker, like, he's trying to tell a story at the beginning of the movie. He was like, yo, man, so check it out. Like, no, no, no. What y'all doing? Like, nah, f that. Listen to the story. So I'm on my man's birthday party. Guess what I do, yo? <laughs> nigga, I f***ing, yo, it's like a cake, nigga. I go get it. And, like, it's his birthday right there. Check this shit, nigga. And I just mush it all in the motherfucker's face. Like, this just tripped me out. Like, everybody talking about I'm fucking bugging it. You know, so can you believe that shit? And Ace, Ace, Ace is like, yeah, nigga, because you bugging. Yeah. The fuck you doing? You, the the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, all in his face. <laughs> yeah, and, and, but again, because he's a kid. Rico's mm -hmm. a kid, kid mentality, man. And that just set it up right from the very beginning that he takes joy in just fucking somebody else's shit. Oh, up. yeah. Um, no Kate respect. Face. Uh,. Yeah, he's just, he has a complete disrespect for anybody around him. Yeah, no matter um, who it is. Uh, I'll go with my the, my, uh, my first line is, uh, I'll keep it in the Rico vein. Um, and we kind of brought it up already that what's the point in having soldiers if you can't use them? Ooh, that is you. Uh, so you did hear him say that? Oh, yeah, yeah. That was such a telling moment for who he is as a person. He is a... He, he would be a ruthless dictator if given the chance. And... and a terrible one to live under. That regime would be horrible. Yeah, yeah. All right, for me, if I had to go back again, <clears throat> it was for when he, uh, it was, <laughs> him and Rico, how did you make, see, this This was not Rico's line. It's when the guy, the funny, one of the funny moments in the film, this guy tells us like a two-minute story, and then, then Ace asked him, man, how long you been out? He was like, oh, man, you didn't hear that, and I ain't even here right now. So that's, he, said, <laughs> he said, he's telling the story basically about how, Mitch and Rico got hooked up and he says so like this is true to that game you used to play when you were a kid to like tell this person this tell this person this by the time it gets to the other person it's something else mm -hmm. by the time it got to this guy he said man I'm telling you and this kid yo this Panamanian cat load like the Spanish dude Rico yo dude had like 10 raises up his ass and I'm like what the f*** this dude just said yeah. 10 raises up his ass like who's writing this that could not have been that was improv but hey that was improv of the movie for me Yeah, 10 raises up his ass um I kind of brought this up too already, damn it! But I'll, it's so good I'll say it again. When when Ace is uh, telling Rico, he's like, I "I'm out. I've been shot in the head, baby." <laughs> that, that's like he says it so like it, it was just it was a funny, not funny moment. But mm -hmm. again, it goes back to Wood Harris's delivery of just being able to take something like that and. And have it so multi-dimensional as far as it, it's a it's a sad moment, it's somber, but his delivery is just like it's tickling. It's tickling, but what was 
funny to me because me and my friends still use this line. This is how like synonymous this line is. So we got the line from the movie. You've never heard me say this, but I know me and my other friends, we've used this before. It's the same scene, but it's prior to that. Like you see, first off, they're all in there and it shows you Rico selfishness. It shows you Mitch concern because as much mm -hmm. as Mitch loves money, he loves his friend more. And I, that's shown several times. Yeah. But like you see a sitting there with his big ass tampon pad on his head and a fucking bandage from the 70s on his neck. And 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 it's like within the first thirty seconds you hear Rico say, "Hey yo man, niggas get shot every day, b. Like, <laughs> yeah. what the f did you just say? You'll be fine. But but was that not foreshadowing? Like, hey oh, nigga, yeah. I'll kill you too. He was to Mitch. Yeah, it's like, nothing to him. It's nothing to him. Like, yeah, he's never the one getting shot again. Slytherin. He's a snake. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm trying to say. Harry Potter. Play me the J.K. Robbins. Give it whoever. Give me some fucking." money for this but yeah so to me when he drops that line like niggas get shot every day b to me to to him he's that like you say he's such a wild card to where he knows he, there's only two ways for him to go out either killing somebody or getting killed and the unfortunate part was he wound up snitching and it was yeah. not a rico thing to do yeah yo he really thinks he's coming home that's the crazy part about it too because at the end of, at the end of the movie they show you like the, the like that's what i meant to bring up earlier they call it it's uh, first off the movie opens up in harlem what you don't realize the very first sound we hear who do we hear? You know who we hear rapping? Um, nah, who's not? It's I Eric B. and Rakim, and the yeah, song yeah, is paid yeah. in full. Mm -hmm. So they first all paid money for that. That happens. Plan. Yeah, there you go. Mm -mm 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 -mm. So, so, so that happens. Now, so when that happens, as far as it started in Harlem and all the, all the, what, what was I talking about? Damn it. <laughs> Damn it, <Mr. laughs> All right, we're just gonna keep moving forward. <laughs> but we're, we're definitely. What are we talking about, Rico? I got nothing but sweat inside my hand. Oh, you. <laughs> All right, yeah, all right, so your turn. Still coming up with Lent. <laughs> it's like, how oh, you f her, man. <laughs> f you. Uh, my, 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 uh, all right, I got two more. Um, when Ace says there's really not a whole lot to do with Lucky, me going to work right now, don't call me Lucky. That that line was good to me, uh, and it just falls into this, his whole running theme with him wanting to be called Ace. Some people call him, what, Junior? Is that what it was? Junior, Ace, Ace and Lucky. Lucky. Uh, he he's like always like, oh, always the same way. Just don't don't call me that. It's Ace. But it, if you look, not even but, I'll say and because I hate the conjunction but because it means like I'm finna go against what you said. No, and in addition to what you were saying, if you notice first and foremost, mothers everywhere slap their sons around the world after he did that. Don't call me Lucky. Yeah, you see my mom coming every time. Like, but the charts. crazy thing was, is there's nothing lucky about me going to work right now. That day turned out to be a lucky day for him. That was the day that um, that what's his fucking nuts the head? Uh, no, the day that Calvin went down to jail and he got his big break to start making. But no, money. not only that's the day that Calvin went down. That's also when he found the coke in his po in Lulu's pocket. Yes, it was the lucky day. It, uh, yeah, it was just I like it was that. An, it was an ironic line, but even in, by itself, it was. But if you it think good. about it, not even think about it. To me, even furthermore, what delves out that is the fact that when he says. Uh, when it, they showed that Ace was always about money, even when he think about this, like it's like winning the lottery. You you don't you're not gonna go back to your job. He kept his job, but with that being said, even when um Mr. Pitts found out, even after that happened, like after they had that exchange, like he like go ahead, leave your life, whatever. He was like, all right, like he most ninety nine percent of people to walk. That this motherfucker said. I still want my seventy five dollars on Friday. Yeah, that should have been one of my top lines. Like, dude, I know I'm gonna go sell drugs and make a lot. Like, he literally made like three, four hundred dollars in one night. Like, hey, on Friday, I still want my seventy five. Mm -hmm. And then even pits the pit said seventy five dollars. Ain't that because he knew what he was about to do. Yeah, yeah. But notice one other thing: Pitts ain't try to. He ain't say you're gonna be dead in jail because even Pitts knew. Like, no matter what Ace do, 
Ace gonna be good because he ain't no flashy type of dude. Because even though he was selling drugs from Mr. Pitt's spot, he didn't want to still fuck up Mr. Pitt's spot. He was still hiding. And Mr. Pitt's found it because he dropped those tickets. Mm -hmm. So he was still protecting the board. Yeah. yeah. That's why I chose Ace for uh, the best actor in this film. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't care how he ends up on the board. He's up there. You, you, that's fine. Ace is up there. Um, Woods Harris, if you need him, gentlemen and ladies. My uh, my last line is it's one of the first lines in the movie after uh, Ace gets jumped, or you just see the door close in the beginning, and then you hear a ruckus happening inside, and then it cuts to him um, on that the stretcher. That ruckus could have been much louder, to be honest with you. I know we're going to get the things we could have changed yeah, later, but like, yeah. you, it's like, come on, dude, who's the sound mixer on this shit? Make the ruckus louder. Um, but when he's on the stretcher and the paramedic says, who did this to you, and his response is, I did, that I right couldn't there, even hear that. You heard that? Yeah. I had a TV black. I watched this 10 times. That, but, oh, that that's powerful. You so yes. much about his character. Like, yeah. that was, uh, that was such a... Like, you knew that you're dealing with somebody who takes responsibility, who has regret for the whatever they're about to get into when it goes when the movie goes back in time and you see what led him here. You already know that he regrets his decision and he takes full responsibility for whatever happened, regardless of who was on the other side of the door. When you come to find out later, you hear it from from the victim himself, from Ace, that that. And really, the guy that what, that this whole movie is based on wrote it. So these are his words, actually. That who did this to you? I did. Um, so I thought that was that was powerful to have that kind of responsibility. Powerful. And that's why I say I don't have a problem with you. I know we're joking about it, but I have no problem with you choosing Woods Harris because if you notice, like even throughout the whole film, even when he started getting money, he was still never flashy. Like maybe the car, yes, the cars did change, and you can just tell he's just a fan of cars because Mitch had been selling money for I mean, Mitch had been selling drugs for years, and Ace never did. It was only to the only compliment he never because I see it shining, but it was mm -hmm. when he got that with the gold BBSs and and then the car. He was like he's a car fan, but other than the car. Like, it, it, even even when his mans got out, like, the first time I saw the movie, I thought he bought that car for Mitch, but it, it, he didn't. He bought it for himself, but he was like, man, just take it. Yeah. Like, because to him, it was all about family being family and everybody eating it, which goes back to your point. That scene, one of your top scenes, is when he found out Mitch died. It's like, damn, like, wait a minute, I wasn't prepared for this, but mm -hmm. you hitting me here. And that, yeah. that, that's hurtful, man. Yeah. All right, you got any others? Any other uh, lines? Um, just the one I brought up earlier—the callback to when the, you're a funny guy. Because to me, I, I always like callbacks. You brought up the Scarface callback. They definitely clearly mm -hmm. love Scarface, and to me, even the Scarface callback is to most rappers. Like even from the the black rapper Scarface who calls himself Scarface, a lot of rappers reference it because again, what they can relate with is not a white guy rising to power. They can relate with an immigrant, somebody not from here because we were stolen and brought here. He was the however he got here. They call them wetbacks. They call us. Well, you know what they call us. I don't have to say that. You don't even have to bleep that part out. It's been said enough. But with that being said, it's just kind of like, damn, like that's why they resonated with it. So to me, that was just it. Like I love the callbacks in it. And again, we mentioned I'm the only person or we're the only show to reference Peyton Full and Harry Potter. There you go, internets. All right. Guys, you know what time it is. It's time for cast, crew, and you. And with that being said, this week is not a special surprise. It's not a bad surprise. It's just to your demise. Bring them in, David. Our guest today is a multi-award winning cinematographer and director, Paul Cerasi. Paul has over three decades of experience behind him, and when we say multi-award winning, I assure you that is no overstatement. If you go to Paul's Wikipedia, there is not a year that passes where he isn't bringing home a handful of awards for his work behind the camera. 
and his future appears to be just as focused. This interview nearly didn't make this episode because Paul is actually in production as we speak, but thankfully, he has very graciously given us his lunch break to take some time to talk with us about his very impressive career. Um, you've seen many great films through Paul's eyes throughout your life, we assure you. He's worked on movies like Picture Perfect, The Sweet Hereafter, Rocky Marciano, Duets, The Wicker Man, Where the Truth Lies, Charlie Bartlett, Devil's Knot, The Captive, Guest of Honor, and of course, Paid in Full. With so much insight to offer and so little time to get into everything, let's dive right in. Um, what was it like working with Charles Stone III, the director there? Well, it's interesting, speaking of first-time director, uh, th this was a case where the, the roles were, were reversed, and this was his first long film. Um, so, uh, I mean, he was great to work with, uh, uh, and I had to be uh, flexible uh, to, to, to take into account uh, that this is a, a new environment for him, and a lot of things were uh, 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 aspects of filmmaking that he'd never encountered before, and just, you know, just the, the the number of people uh, mm -hmm. involved in doing every little thing, and 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 I'm sure for him that was quite an adjustment to 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 wrap his head around. And um, but all that being said, uh, he he very uh, soon uh, be, became the captain of the ship, and and uh, and and it was great, and, and so it, it was it was. Uh, a role where I had to, on the one hand, support and and you know be there for him, and yet be careful not to overstep because uh, he's he's uh, he was learning uh, the ropes, and and he's so gifted. Uh, it it's not uh, it, it wasn't a difficult uh, job for him. You would th you would think that most great directors they want to have a, a circle of people around them that are like you say someone like yourself to not to still garner the knowledge but say hey this is still your show to run and again I know you guys were shooting in New York one of the things I talked to him about visually like we we but we both said it so much like we felt like we were there and one of the scenes that I brought out to him well I don't know if it was you or whoever thought about it. there's two scenes and I know this was years ago but it stands out to me there's a scene where Makai Pfeiffer's character Mitch and James James Woods character's ace they're at two different times in the in the film they're looking out away but what they're looking at whether it's in their room or their home it appears to just be a normal door but to me it felt like a jail cell like they knew that there was no way to get out and things these natures to pull away shot and I'm just like man whoever sat there and thought about it whether it's you and the director however y'all got the shot it takes a group of people to visually do, get something like that done and so I want to tell you guys kudos on how, the aesthetic so what was it like shooting in New York and to be able to get all these great shots and of course, he, mean, he means Wood Harris, not James Wood. I'm, I say, I say, I'm sorry. Oh my, I never mess up. This is my first time Woods Harris. Forgive me. Yeah, yeah no, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's a, a funny situation uh, that it happens, uh, occurs a lot in Toronto, where Toronto doubles for New York or Chicago, or it, it, it's, it's just the nature of so many American films that, that uh, shoot in Toronto, because Toronto is fairly similar to a lot of American films, uh, uh, cities. Uh, so it, it uh, and, and the, the, you know, the accent of local actors, whatnot. It, so it's, it's a very frequent thing, but, but it was a big challenge, uh, particularly for uh, uh, the uh, Meher Ahmed, the uh, uh, production designer, that th there's, there's almost nowhere in Toronto that is like Harlem. So ob obviously it was super uh, 
uh, key to be able to actually go to the real place, uh, see the real buildings, the real people. It it uh, it 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 lended an authenticity that uh, would have been impossible if if the entire film was was shot in in Toronto. So well, Toronto, of course. Uh, to a large extent, the things that we're shooting there are the interiors, and so the the important thing is is how to translate, how to how to bring Harlem to Toronto, you know, how to make like you say that that door or that uh, hallway, or uh, so so that was where there was a lot of discussion and, and planning and visual references that were um, uh, used to 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 help everybody uh, reproduce uh, that world. And, and one thing that was specifically and very visually uh, integral to the whole thing was uh, uh, we were uh, talking a lot about uh, being in these uh, apartments where the where the uh, windows are the blinds are drawn, and you're you're in this kind of almost womb-like uh, environment, uh, and and the, the, it's very dim and whatnot, and 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 that was something. Uh, we were we were hoping to to achieve and 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 uh, replicate as as that was very much uh, something that that came from the real place even though we were sort of reinventing it so it it's uh, it's definitely uh, uh, the, the trick of filmmaking to to try to integrate both something that's that's very real and something that's trying to be real. You guys paid off the phrase "movie magic, love movie magic." <laughs> Yeah, no, the the way that the way the the cinematography in that movie walks the line of realism and and like abstract sometimes is is very interesting. You don't you don't see that in a lot of like many urban films don't dare to to delve into the abstract too much um, as visually. Uh, we have a um, a little bit of a rivalry going on here between who the standout actor is in the film, between Mackay Pfeiffer as Mitch and Wood Harris as Ace. Um, I just wanted to ask you, if it were up to you, who would the award go to between those two? Well, they, they were both amazing. and uh, But I, I, I guess I, I really got along with Mackay. He, he's such a gentleman. And uh, uh, I mean... I mean that, that's only and and it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm you don't have to apologize. You don't have to apologize for the truth. It's okay. <laughs> He's obviously well, Team Mackay. <laughs> well, I mean they're very different people, and Mackay um, uh, is one of those uh, people who can just turn it on, turn it off, and uh, and and he's he's a very very lovely person. And uh, Wood is a, is much more in, you know stays always in character and very focused. So you know obviously I'm biased by the by the just the personal connection. But uh, I mean they're both amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you for he's on my side. Well, just thanking him for the honesty. <laughs> so, all right. So okay, all right. So uh, before before we go uh, from that, there are, there, are there any other thoughts you want to lend to the production? Like you say, it was years ago. Clearly, you've done a lot of projects. But again, one of the things I told him because he had never seen the film before, and I say, listen, this is we're very transparent. Which I was like, this is not a black film. It's a film about things that are happening in Black America. Trust me, it's a big difference. I say, listen, when you from the budget tape they had to how it was made, to me, it's a standalone. I put it in a classic genre because it just feels good to me. So, did you have any other thoughts or any takeaways from the production when you were there? Yeah, well, it's it's funny uh, with with this film, with Paid in Full, with with every film, you're you're not really uh, uh, 
conscious of its impact or its importance or its position in culture when, when you're doing it. You're, you're, you're basically going shot by shot, problem solving, figuring things out, uh, uh, having to be flexible because uh, everything is not what was planned or discussed. And, and you, you just feel happy to have uh, uh, relatively successfully uh, managed to survive from beginning to end and, and hopefully uh, that you're a little bit proud of, of the work that's been done. And, and I would say that that film, like any other film, uh, had that and, and uh, it was very enjoyable to, to, to go through that process. Paul, once again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk with us. Uh, folks can follow your work at paulsaracy.com. I'll put the link up in the description, as well as Instagram at saracp. That'll also be in the description. Um, we definitely encourage you to check it out. Um, and Paul, can you tell us, uh, last question, what you have coming up and that, that people should look out for? Uh, well, th uh, there's a film called Guest of Honor that, that I... Uh, uh, did last year and it's it's i think it's out now uh or it may have done i mean now is such a weird thing in, in covid land uh, uh films uh, what a release uh constitutes is kind of hard to describe but uh but anyhow it's it's a the a film that i did recently with the director i talked about earlier adam agoyan uh who we've done many films over the years and this is our latest uh, uh film together Okay, great. Thank you very much. Check out Guest of Honor. I'll also find a link and put that in there as well. Again, Paul, thank you very much you, and, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, I assume you're getting back behind the camera. Yeah, yeah, in a few moments. Well, thank you, thank very, you much. very much. And good as a pleasure. Oh, Godspeed, sir. Godspeed. Godspeed. Bye bye. Bye bye. And that brings us to our next segment, Dirty, which is Room for Improvement. Now, when it comes to this day, for me, my Room for Improvement would have been this. Um, I'm going to steal the first shot of saying this is because I, it, it goes along with what you said in our last week's episode, which was, to me, I'm actually doing what I accused you of doing about 25 minutes ago. I am contradicting myself from last week and using something you said to honor, honor home my point. Between the... Like, if anything, for me, and I don't want to get too much into it because I know we're getting the f*** given, but for me, between the cinematography, the story writing, the acting, like, to me, it had me there, it had me there, it's had mm -hmm. me there. Like, I'm I'm right there and I'm about to explode or something like that. And then they spoon-feed me the ending. Like, I don't need to know that part. I don't yeah. need to know that the game didn't change. I got the diamonds, and now I put a down payment on life. We were right there. I didn't need you to wrap it up for me. I was good with Rico getting up at the end from like like mm -hmm. ace like like you said rico would have said i went like a went out like a sucker but f that yeah so they would have ended it on the basketball court oh that, that oh perfect oh because that would have been a, that would have been yeah true to the to the main character of right. ace just quiet subtle even and, had a gun on him and you never oh, knew yeah. it and like and that that would have been that would have been perfect to let you know that all your suspicions were correct that he was doing that to turn him in. There was so much beautifully implied, but it was like somebody in the writers' room were like, "There's gonna be people that don't get it. Let's just give them this one scene at the end that lets them know that this actually happened." Like 
Nah, it's it's yeah. It should. I love what you said there. there. I think that's a term we should uh, copyright beautifully implied. Let it be artistically and beautifully implied to the point to where that's what filmmaking is. I don't and trust that you that you did it effectively enough. Did they not do enough delving of the characters? The whole film for us, like they made within thirty minutes, we clearly cared about Mitch and and Ace, and even forty five minutes in, you loved Rico for being that Doc Holliday character. Yeah. Yep. Um. Uh, and I and I would have changed. I wanted more, but more than ninety minutes. N- yes, in a way. So I, I I feel like as great as the movie was, it felt rushed a lot of the times. I felt like they were rushing through a lot of. Well, explain that because I'm confused. Because earlier you said you liked the pacing, the, and now you saying it feel like it's rushed. The, the pacing was great how they took like on a micro level or on a macro level the pace, the the pacing was great how how they you know you have these events transpiring and the way they chose to put the events in order out of order that was that uh, uh, so it's not really the pacing as much as it is the the Quentin Tarantino-ing of the of certain moments in the movie that was good but that same formula could have been applied to I, I I think this would have been much better served as a TV series, like on Showtime or HBO. Something like The Shy, or um, or, 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 or as you brought up earlier, The Wire. With yeah, Bart or James Breaking West. Bad, where you watch somebody. Dude, they would have had me locked in for like, like seven because seasons. Because Ace is the perfect story of like watching this that normal kid turn into, and then you have like in the movie itself all these pivotal uh, pivotal moments that are just kind of glossed over. <clears throat> Or quickly because they had to get on to the next thing, like, um, like Mitch going to prison, like that could have been finale of season one, uh, and then the and then Mitch dying could have been finale season two. This, I mean, they could have. It didn't have to be a long stretch. Can I give out you a thing. fun fact? Yeah. First off, let me before I give you the fun fact, let me say that I one hundred and fifty five million percent agree with what you're saying because I've never looked at it that way. I've watched this movie a bunch a bunch of times, and I agree with you. After watching The Wire, The Shy, Oz. And, th- and things like that, I agree with you 100%. This could have been a series, and it would have been more successful as a series. The seg- we all There's always a connection between of all, all our films, between composer scenes, callbacks. To me, you mentioned something earlier. James Woods was in what prior to this? You, you named a couple of things, but I said what? The Wire. Are you talking about Wood Harris? No, James Wood. James Woods is that old white guy from Thank you Vampires. So much. Yet again, I've been trying to get him I'll, all episode. I'll, Guys, he is so f***ing vampire i will this vampire will will bend you over and take a walk up your strata chocolata okay and no one thought we we're going to do that episode today but no again thank you I've, I've been trying to get him all episode and clearly he cannot be gotten so woods harris woods harris i told you early in the film played a character by the name of avon barksdale in what what popular hbo series uh the wire correct mm-hmm. do you know what 11 year old was in that um the, no. s- the same child that was in The Living Weight. What? Get the Michael f*** out of here. B. Jordan got his start on The Wire, and that's 100% oh, okay. you can You can IMDB me, I'll bet my <laughs> next month's salary on that one. Yeah, he got started in that, and that's what's crazy. Like, when, when Woods Harris was that dude, and also, I'm sorry, have you, have you ever heard of this guy? Um, you might have heard of him. I don't know his name. Idris Elba? Oh, yeah, I think I... Think so I we got Idris Elba, Woods Harris... We got Michael B. Jordan. Like, to me, other like The Wire and The Oz, as far as HBO are concerned, and Dream On, that's my childhood nostalgia coming back, or like my top three HBO shows. I'm sorry, True Blood. 
right, move Dream On out for True Blood. True Blood, The Wire, and Oz are my top three HBO old shows ever. HBO, are y'all still out there? Give us a f***ing deal. Like, where the f*** is HBO at? Where's yeah, the whole so, box office? <laughs> and when they're talking about doing a sequel, fuck a sequel. T- do, remakes are all the rave right now. So take take a movie from 2002 based on something that happened in the 80s and and do the give it the karate kid treatment instead of like total recall i'm talking yeah. like instead yeah yeah, Inst- yeah instead yeah, of yeah. uh instead of doing a sequel go back and do the movie but do it based Modernized on version of the movie and do, and, and do it based on Faison's original script that is probably that that, that actually spans seven years. No, instead don't of go back it. and do a movie. Go back and do a series, as you mentioned. Yeah, that's, that's and what furthermore, I'm no, that's what I'm go saying. back and let us write and direct and do the series, and we'll show you how it's supposed to be done this is but, our pitch but, for but go back to the original source material instead of doing a sequel go back to his original script yes. and and flesh that out over seven years it's called if a, i'm not in, mistaken i forgot the name of the street but it's something in 125th street is the name of the original screenplay and i did my research on that so okay. all i'm saying is hbo showtime fx if you're looking for somebody to do you make you bang for your buck hire us we're cheap now and we'll do maybe four seasons we promise you only something better than power and you can probably get Cameron for like a whole season for like, like sixteen thousand. Yeah, because he did one movie. And guess what, Cam Cam? I was gonna say sixteen hundred. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, well, I respect him too much for that, dude. I, I we're gonna get at least get you fifty thousand. Uh, we pesos. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's gonna shoot you in the ass. Pull you out of the. Pull you out of the car. Well, you know, with Cam Cam, drip drip, pink drip. <laughs> all right. So, uh, with all that said. Let's move on to given. How much do we with paid in full? I give this movie four. Four out of five. Four five. And I'll tell you why. Because to me, to be honest with you, out of all the films that we have reviewed this season, to me, I give it four. But it's the only four I've given because this is the most well-rounded film I think we have. Uh, I know that we've reviewed thus far because here's the thing: the acting. We couldn't even. We used to have a subject called "Worst Art," the Razzie or the whatever. Mm-hmm. There was no person that I felt took from this film, from the store owner or anything like that. Like as far as acting wise, they got these characters correct to me. Cinematography, forget A plus. Blocking, forget A plus. Like above, like you're talking about the Juilliard level, the the person that has a home studio that nobody knows about. That's just an artistic, beautiful mind genius. It kind of felt like a John Singleton movie at times. I I would say Singleton mixed with Scorsese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be me for me. So to me, like I say, if I, so so like Charles not, Stone the third. Uh, the direct, if we didn't, oh, I'm sorry if I didn't get this correct. Charles Stone the, the third, the director of Drumline. Yeah. So yeah, that's. By the way, according, rest in peace to my friend Sam. He called out the one shot that you well, one of the shots. There's not a lot of shots in Drumline. You got wrong, but there's a shot like 91 minutes into the film, or should I say 91 percent of the film, where the two drumlines are battling each other, and Nick Cannon is not allowed to play because it's actually shot for sound versus visual, and you see Nick Cannon doing this while the rest of the drummers are doing this. That's not your fault, Charles Stone the third, but I'm just simply saying. My best friend Sam wanted me to tell you about that, and rest in peace to my best friend. Thank you. Um, I I give this one three. F- 
And it mainly, it, uh, I agree with everything you say. Great, you? Bef- great performance, great writing, great shooting. Where did they lose the other two f- middle fingers at? The pacing. That the, I, I I'm felt still like it. I felt like you no. The pacing uh, I, and I explained earlier. In a macrocosm. Yeah, and they did a good job. They did a good job uh, delivering the scenes they had. Let me ask I you this: Have you seen bigger time. budgeted films not? Pro- perform the cinematography that they've done no the cinematography was great the attention to detail the atmosphere everything was great i wanted to see more of it i wanted to see 60 minutes of this a week for a few years i want to see these characters fleshed out and the fact that they took they took a story that could have that that could have been done with and 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 in their defense this was 2002 TV wasn't really where you went to for hard-hitting dramas True. that were, like, True. edgy. True. So I give them that, but now is the time. Like, that. this is this would be such a great series to flesh out. So what you're saying is that we should direct uh, AD, do the sound. We should be a part of this series when we pitch this to HBO or Showtime or FX is what you're saying. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll do it. So we started this show initially to get YouTube involved. And YouTube, if you don't want to get on board, that's fine because we're just going to pitch this idea. Like, we're now having this moment. Like, to quote uh, to, to quote Spaceballs, everything that's happening now is happening now. So when we give our pitch meeting to write the original screenplay for a series for HBO based off Payton in Full, you guys are going to come to us. We're sitting here recoled out. And now my child's mother and his child's mother, his wife, can be happy for us out of all the films we've done. We were obviously meant to just do this series and just get paid off of it. So we'll see you guys in about two years. Oh, yeah. All right, guys. That concludes this week's episode. Hey, we're yeah. short on subscribers. I'm trying to get about 50 more subscribers. Can you do me a favor real quick? Oh, yeah. Can you stand up and show your belly? What? Give it to them, dude. This for the subscribers. I want you guys to no, subscribe. No, right? here's the thing. If, I already if, have if my bit. You I know will, what I'm going to do. I will do that when we reach 250 no. subscribers. Then I will unveil the belly button. Because I know what I'm ha- I have to do in 1,000. I'm not just going to give it away for All nothing. Right. Okay. For 146 well, when 75% of We're you are... We're giving this away. Yeah, we are giving it away. And only 25% Seven... of these people are subscribing. So what should yeah. I hit? Subscribe. How do you spell that? S-U-B. S C R I B E N. God, he said I sound like an old man saying what I said last week. He just took thirteen seconds to spell subscribe and hit Jeez. the B E double L, so you get the Noda F I. Put it this way: C-A-T-I-O-N-S. How about the S U B? How about the S U B instead of being an S O B? Yes, exactly. You do that. Um, so yeah, hit subscribe. Don't be one of those seventy-five percent or that are just over here lurking in the corner, not not revealing yourself. Be one of the twenty-five percent that are supporting the cause. I want to ask one more question. Sure, David. Yeah. Where can they subscribe? Have a good week, everybody. Uh, we're gonna get the f- off this stoop. Not right. this way, that way. Hey, man. <coughs> hey, if you're going to get paid, get paid in full. You see me hit the Dougie on that. <laughs> you see me hit the Dougie on that. <laughs> Go the other way. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, great show, brother. That's the trailer.